Okay. Okay. So I've entitled this message, A Community of Faith, Hope, and Love. And I put the Thessalonians. We're going to look at the book of the Thessalonians as a backdrop for this topic. Now, why this topic? A community of faith, hope, and love. I mean, those are great three concepts, faith, hope, and love. But how come, why a community of? This week we did the Alpha Core session four. We go to the next slide, Cynthia. So they interviewed a guy called Emerson. Oh my goodness, his surname, I don't know. How would you say that surname? I was like, is that Nawatni or is that Nawatni? I don't know, but I just know what, how to say that, I don't know. <laughs> I, know I know not how to say that surname. But this guy, they interviewed him in the Alpha Course, and he said at the end of his testimony that one of his greatest delights is that currently in his life, he has a wonderful wife, he has a young son, and he said, I am part of a community of faith, hope, and love. And that really jumped out at me. I was surprised by it. I mean, he said a lot. His testimony is his background of drugs. His family was in the whole drug scene, and he ended up in jail. And he came to know the Lord. His life's been turned around. I actually went to Google him. He's now actually planted a church in Mexico City. So when he says he's part of a community of faith, hope, and love, there's there's... When he said that, it was like, that was very intentional. He knows what he's talking about. There seemed to be like a knowing. When he said, I'm part of a community of faith, hope, and love. I was like, there's depth to that. You know when somebody just says something, and he's like, wow, there's a lot over there. When you say this is a community of faith, hope, and love. And so that's why I've entitled it. And then um, I was, of course, reminded in 1 Corinthians 13, is the love chapter in in the Bible, and he finishes off the last verse, verse 13, Paul says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The big three are faith, hope, and love. And I've, I've known this verse for many years, but this week I was reading in Thessalonians, chapter uh, First Thessalonians, book in the Bible, chapter 1, and I read this in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. So he's thanking the Lord for these dudes called Thessalonians. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The big three. Is that three? Yeah, that's three. He mentions the big three again. And, and I was like, sure. I watched the video, the Alpha Course video twice. That jumped out. I'm reading this now. Lord, what is it about this community of faith, hope, and love? Because he's praying here for these dudes, the Thessalonians. And these are the three things that he's identifying. That this is what characterizes that community, that church, is faith, hope, and love. You know, I read that and, I, and I'm like, sure, Lord. When I heard Emerson talk about it, I was like, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. And then I'm reading this and I'm saying, sure, I wonder if somebody had to visit our community, would they be able to say that about us, that we're a community of faith, hope, and love? And so this just got me, got me going. So I wanted to highlight now, he describes, he puts the adjectives in front of this faith, hope, and love. And the adjectives he uses, he describes the faith as 
a work of faith. He describes, if you click Cynthia, that the kind of love, it's a labor of love, so I've highlighted labor there, and then he says what kind of hope? A steadfastness of hope. So I just went to dig, dig down, what is, what is he meaning when he says this? So word for work there is this Greek word ergon, and it means it's, it may be pleasant and stimulating. So that's the work you enjoy doing, okay? Now hopefully in your work there's some things you enjoy doing. But there's another word for work, and we translate it as labor in English, and that's this Greek word kopos, and it implies toil that is strenuous and sweat-producing. Okay? Does that sound like exam time for some of you? <laughs> Does that sound like you've got a massive deadline at work? Okay? I'm thinking of Anne that had to type out huge minutes, you know, and it has to be in by five o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. And poor Anne is typing like a, like, like mad to try and get the deadline in. Remember those days, Anne? And Anne would message, I can't talk now. I've got this deadline. I've got to get these minutes in by the whenever or get these etc. That is the other aspect of work. And I want to highlight these two folks. The side of eternity, I don't know if the perfect job exists. Because in any work you get, you have work that is ergon, you enjoy doing it. I mean, in all my studies that I did at university, there were many parts of the work that I actually enjoyed the content. The stuff they were teaching was very interesting. It was stimulating. But then when you get to exams, oh my goodness, then it's copos. Okay? Einstein, did you enjoy studying about accounting and tax and all these things? No, he's shaking his head. So there was no ergon anywhere. I was hoping there would be some ergon in learning about the stuff. Oh, maybe it's just the paycheck that you enjoy. Is that when the delight comes? Okay. He's nodding his head. Okay. Some of you say the ergon comes at the end of the month. Okay. But in every work, I want to submit to you, there are enjoyable aspects of your work. But there's also the stuff that is just hard work. And I often joke and say, remember, work is a four-letter word. So I just want us to, okay, remember that in life, we are always going to get the hard, strenuous parts of life that require sweat and effort. And if you're going through that time in your life, you know, it's like my daughter Heidi, she's, she was writing major exams, she's also studying accounting. She's not thinking, and she comes to us and she says, Dad, you know, I was wondering, maybe I should have studied to become a pharmacist. <laughs> I'm like, my love, you in your final year of accounting. And then she's thinking about this other career. Why? Because she's going through copos at the moment. Sweet and toil, and it's like, oh man, any other career path sounds amazing to me right now. And remember, the grass is always greener on the other side. But you know why it's green on the other side? Because there's a lot more cow dung on the other side, okay? I'm just joking. But this is important. But I also want to say, even the work of the Lord. He's actually referring to this. This is a church that is continuing the work of the Lord over there. And he's saying, guys, there's stuff that is on, that's pleasant, it's great, but then there's stuff that's hard work. Amen. And I wish, I wish I could say that all the work of the Lord is just glorious and you hear the angels singing, and, you know, the Spirit of God just carries you on, you know, and while you're writing that message to that person who hasn't replied to you or if, if, if they could do duty on Sunday for this like 17th time, you know, and you're hearing the angels singing and God is just writing the message for you and you're feeling this love flowing to this person who just won't reply to you no matter how often you message. Lumella, 
You know, there's times that it's just, it's kopos. And that is just the side of eternity. Just deal with it. That's life. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're out of the will of God, that God has forsaken you, etc., that you, you know, whatever, the devil is attacking you. That's just life. Deal with kopos. There's ergon as well. Amen. Whether it's kopos, whether you enjoy it, or whether it's ergon, you get rewards from the Lord regardless. Lord doesn't just say, well, you know, okay, he's enjoying it now, there's no reward in heaven, but he's not enjoying it now, so we'll give rewards in heaven. There's actually rewards in heaven for all of it. It's nice when you get rewards this side, and we say, oh, it's so nice to serve the Lord. That person was so nice. Look at the nice message they sent me, Jim. They're so friendly. They're so eager to serve. It's wonderful serving God with people like that, okay? It doesn't always happen like that. He's talking about the work of the Lord. And then he comes to, he uses the word steadfastness of hope to describe the kind of hope that these people have. It's a hope that just keeps on no matter what. It is a patience, a long suffering, and endurance that doesn't give up. It's a hope that just keeps on hoping. I want to share with you just, um, maybe just go back one slide. Um, I nearly, uh, I want to just highlight faith, love, and hope. And I'm talking to you about experiencing this in community. My title is A Community of Faith, Hope, and Love. And I want to mention to you three areas that I've experienced this in this community amongst you. I want to submit to you that for many of us, our experience of faith, hope, and love is not just vertically you know, you're praying to God and there's just, wow. It's just like downloads from heaven and you get everything you need regarding faith, hope, and love just from God directly. I want to submit you a lot of it comes from your brother and sister sitting around you. Faith, a couple of weeks ago, we were contemplating whether we should have an in-person service or whether we should just be online. Why? COVID, you know, numbers are going up, people are whatever. There's, there's a lot of factors and we want to be responsible. We want to hear from God. Lord, there's a lot of factors. God, should we do in person? Should we be online? We're consulting our leaders as we do with important decisions. And Jenny actually called into Kozo. It was a Saturday morning, I think it was. I can't remember. And she was talking to into Kozo and just, you know, bringing kind of all the considerations. Should we have in person? Should we be online? And Jenny literally called me. She said, she said, Jacques, I think this is the word of the Lord. And Ndukozo, I'm not going to give all the ins and outs, all the factors around our consideration a few weeks ago. Ndukozo said, I really feel we need to have an in-person service. And she said, I feel like, and she gave a couple of reasons why. But as I heard her saying that to me, Janet said she feels this is the word of the Lord. I literally felt faith rising inside of me that we should do an in-person service. I felt faith rise. Right there, community, and just some of the things, I got faith that we should be having an in-person service through Ntukozo. How many of you can say you've had that as well? I want to mention uh, labor of love. And this is, and again, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention people's names. But there's so many ways that love can be defined. But I wanna say, one of the simplest ways that 
I think love can be defined is that you know somebody cares. Now, how do you show that somebody cares? I'll share, you, share with you a very personal example. Um, somebody in our church has just shown a concern that us as a family take regular leave, and we don't just work and work and work and end up burning out. And this person, they don't do it in a controlling, you know, no, no, in a way that is just cons- that shows concern. And, and they will every now and then check, are you taking leave? Have you taken, when are you planning to take your next leave? Not in a controlling, not in a bossy way, not in a, in, in, it's actually in quite a fun way that just speaks to me that they are concerned about our well-being as a family. And it speaks to me so much because concern is an expression of love, that they actually do love us. And so this is, again, it's a way, I've shared with you a way I've experienced faith in the community. I've experienced love in this community. Just by one person saying, please make sure that you take leave and you don't forsake. Having rest time. I want to mention an example of hope. Steadfastness of hope. In the middle of that week of looting, on the Thursday, we got the message that the shops were open. So I literally, when I opened the kitchen, kitchen blind and I looked outside, there were just cars parked in front of our house. Now, some of you know where we stay. We stay about a K away from the shops. There were cars parked because the message had gone out that the local shops were open. People were parking all over. So I said to my wife, we are not driving to the shops like we have for the last couple of years. We are walking to the shops. So we got backpacks and everything, and, and yeah, we are hiking to the shops. When we were standing in the queue, and Clumella was also in that queue, we got there just after 9 a.m. I don't know. Uh, we got home at 3.30 that afternoon, okay? But while I was standing in that queue, and it was, guys, you know, it was stressful. You're standing there, you you... Fuel is not available. You know, the local garages don't have fuel. Fuel's run out. Um, you don't know if you're going to get in the shop. You don't know if you're going to get supplies. I mean, the, the line was just snaking around the car park and around the shopping center. We didn't even know if we would get in and get any groceries. And I was standing there and I got a call. I got a call from Pastor Roger. And Pastor Roger, he had been checking up on us and calling us during that week. How's it going now? And he said to me, he said, Jacques, I've just spoken to Wayne. Now, Wayne's the pastor down in Durban, the Every Nation Church in Durban. And we're part of the Every Nation family of churches, and Pastor Roger heads up the Southern African Apostolic Team that, that sort of gives leadership to our churches in Southern Africa. Pastor Roger called me, he said, I've just spoken to Wayne. He said, we as Every Nation, we are wanting to make a financial contribution to you as a local church to help you to rebuild your city. Folks, I can't tell you what a difference that made in my heart. Right there, I'm telling you, I was very concerned about the economic impact of all the looting, not just on our city, but on individuals' lives, because there are we people that work in the city. I was like, how many people in the church have lost their jobs because they, wherever their place of work has been burned and looted? What? What, 
how will we be able to be there and provide for people like that? And what will the financial impact be on our local church? On us being able to pay salaries and pay for the lights and pay the municipal bill, etc. I was like, Lord, what is the impact going to be? I mean, COVID has had a major impact on that already, on, 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 on the economic life of, of so many people. Pastor Roger phoned. Folks, I felt like a surge of hope. I'm talking about hope. I felt like a surge of hope just coming to my soul, like, we are not alone. We're going to make it. And, and, and folks, when, when you said, I'm giving financial, we want to give, make a financial contribution towards the Maritzburg Church and the, and the Durban Church, it just brought such hope that, Lord, we're going to get through this. We're going to make it. Community that has faith, hope, and love. I'm just sharing three examples that in the last while I have personally experienced. So, can we go on, Cynthia, to the next slide? Um, I'm actually on the, on the, we've done this one, actually the next one. And on the, on the next slide, I've actually put up a map. Now, you guys would have seen this map because I put it up in February 2019. Remember that service? I remember it well. Okay? I put this map up, and this is Paul's second missionary. And why am I highlighting this? Because that scripture we looked at is from 1 Thessalonians. So you're wondering, where do these guys come from, the Thessalonians? Okay, They come from Thessalonica, and Paul went there on his second missionary journey. So we looked at this, we looked at the first part of his missionary journey in, in February. So he started there in Antioch. By the way, Israel's down at the bottom here. The blue is the Mediterranean Sea. The green is, well, that top part is modern-day Turkey, etc. There's Greece on the side, just to give you... Starts over here in Antioch, and then click Cynthia, and then they went through what is known as Galatia in the Bible. It's actually Turkey. They went through there. That's where he met Timothy, picked Timothy. Timothy went with him. They went through there, and they were actually, they were going to go up to Bithynia, up at the top there. And if you remember the Bible, in the Bible it says the Holy Spirit told them not to go that way. And, and Paul actually got a vision to cross the sea and go to the other side, and they end up in Philippi. There were the arrows at the top there. Wait, wait, Cynthia, don't, don't click. You, you're going ahead of me. I can't talk that fast. Uh, okay, I'll t- I know when the arrows are coming. I'll tell you. So they saw a vision. They crossed the sea. They went to Philippi. Remember, we looked at that in that message where Paul got there and met this woman, this businesswoman, Lydia, and uh, and then they end up getting chucked in jail, him and Silas. They spend time in jail there. They're singing, they're worshipping. The angel shakes the jail, and they, they are set free. Amazing, miraculous story. The jailer comes to know the Lord. All the prisoners get come to know the Lord. Amazing story happened in Philippi. And that's where the book of Philippians is written to the church in Philippi. Okay? So from there, where does he go? Cynthia, show them. There we go. He goes to Thessalonica. That's the next town he goes to. Now, took a total of about three years for this trip, okay? But he didn't actually spend very long time in Philippi, and he only spent three weeks in Thessalonica. Three weeks, folks. This letter that he's writing to this church, he'd only spent three weeks over there. Um, and so, let's. Uh, I think, let's go to the next slide. Well, I'll tell you more about his journey as we go on. Let's go to the next slide, Cynthia. So we're reading now in Acts about what the Bible says about what happened in Thessalonica. So let's read. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in 
as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, I three weeks, that's why I said he was three weeks, for three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ or the Messiah. So I was reading this to Jen and she said something which I thought exactly the same. I said, wow, they did the first three weeks of the Alpha course. Don't you think it kind of sounds like what you do in the first three weeks of the Alpha course? So that was really cool. They got going with the Alpha course over there. And then it says, verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Okay, well, this is not a few. That means many. Okay, that's sort of funny talk. Okay, I don't know. They spoke funny in those days. Anyway, but in verse 4, I've underlined the word, and some of them were persuaded. I put in brackets there, convinced or believed, because I actually went to go look at other translations and what uh, what um, the Greek word was. They were, they, they were persuaded. They believed. So folks, he... For three weeks, they did the first three weeks of Alpha, and they and they got it that Jesus is the Messiah, and they responded with a conviction. That's if you convince about something, that's a conviction. They were persuaded. They believed. They were they were totally like Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ, Christos, and there's a conviction. There's something that happens in the heart. So this word is there's something happening in the heart, but something else happened. Look what it says. And they joined Paul and Silas. Folks, two things happened to these people, these Greeks and a whole lot of leading women. There was a conviction in the heart. They came to faith. They, they were convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Boom. And many of us think, that's it. I'm a Christian now. I'm convinced Jesus is the Messiah. Got my ticket to heaven. Here we go. But something else happened and joined Paul and Silas. Joined, it literally means they threw their lot in with. This joining, and folks, how come you can spend three weeks there running the Alpha course, and you have a church, and, and just read the rest of the book. I mean, amazing church that is now known for faith, hope, and love. How do they get faith, hope, and love? There was a conviction, but they joined their hearts together with Paul and Silas. Now, if you read this book, it's amazing the level of heart connection between Paul the Apostle and these people. And folks, I want to submit to you. That's why I say community of faith, hope, and love. My title for this message is just faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love by yourself, folks. I don't believe you can actually get the full meaning of faith, hope, and love just by yourself in a vertical relationship with God. It is in a community that you are going to be experiencing this. And it says there they were persuaded. They also joined. Folks, the Bible says in, in the Old Testament, the Lord sets the lonely in families. Literally sets. It's the same concept of joining. There's a joining together, and I believe every single believer needs to be in a local church. If this is it, God bless you, welcome. If this is not it, find the local church that God wants you to join with, where you have same convictions, the same persuasion, the same beliefs, absolutely get in line, heart, hearts aligned, but please be joined. This is when 
things really happen. Let's read on, but verse, verse 5 in the next slide. But the Jews were jealous. Oh my goodness, folks. When there's jealousy, oh my goodness, it gets ugly. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. I was reading that and I was like, isn't that what we experienced in Maritzburg beginning of July? Bunch of wicked men got a mob together and attacked some shops and shopping centers. You know, I was like, sure, some things change and some things don't change. Eh? It's exactly what happened here. I was in one of the first phone calls that week, spoke to Ntukozo. Ntukozo asked this, this very important question. She said, what is wrong in the fabric of some societies in South Africa that they would be swept up to destroy the very own shops and businesses that serve them. And I, 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 I mean, there's, a, there's the story of two malls. There's Jabuloni Mall and Maps Mall, Maponyana Mall in Soweto. Two malls in Soweto. I think, I think if I get it right, Jabuloni Mall was destroyed by the local community. Maps Mall was protected by the local community. I don't know about you, but you also, I wonder, what, what is the difference in the fabric of the community around Maps Mall that the people came and protected Maps Mall up in, but Jabulani Mall, they destroyed it. I don't have the answers. I don't know so where to. I've never been to any of those malls. And to cause asked that question. I have personally asked that question to myself. Do I have the capacity to be swept up into a mob that caused this kind of a thing. It's, a, I think it's a, just a personal question each one of us need to ask. Would you be called, would you be able to be persuaded to go and steal from your local shop? Or would you be the one who goes and protects your local shop? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not being judgmental. I'm saying I've seen this. We've seen this. What is the difference in people's hearts? And because I was asking that question, what is the difference? What's wrong in the fabric? She used the word fabric. What's wrong in the fabric of some communities that they'll destroy the very shops belonging to people in the community and other communities will rise up and protect them? What is the difference? I don't know. And don't simplify it. Just say, they poor. I get cross when people say, because you're poor, you're immoral, you're a thief, you've got no values and you won't do anything right. You cannot say that. Some of the most upright people are people who don't have a lot of financial provision. Don't tell me just because you're poor, you're going to now burn down your local shopping center. It doesn't cut it. You can't simplify life like that. There's more. I do absolutely recognize that poverty is destructive and destroys people's value and worth, and it is destructive, and we need to work against it. But don't simplify life and just say, oh, he's poor, he'll burn the local his, his shopping center down. It doesn't work like that either. Amen. Folks, we need to examine our own hearts. What kind of a society are we building? If there are people who are attacking your neighbor, will you join the attackers or will you defend your neighbor? We've got to ask ourselves, what are we made of? What kind of a society are we going to build? 
Are we going to be those who destroy or are we going to be those who build? I want to throw my lot in where I will defend what has been built and I will help anybody who builds. I'm not going to destroy. But I think it's an important question we need to ask. And we need to join and pull in those who, as far as I'm concerned, saying we are those who are going to build, not to destroy. It's easy to destroy. But to build, sure. You know, I've ministered this, as you know, the whole concept of building. Remember, two weeks ago, I had the picture of those rocks. And I I was particularly referring to individuals' lives, how you can destroy your own life by how you speak to your life. And I was just thinking particularly about a church community. We're talking about a community of faith, hope, and love. You know, I remember years ago, I, I lost a friend. I was part of a local church, not in Maritzburg, many years ago. And something happened. There was a leader that had some issues. And he was being dealt with. The situation was being dealt with. But this person didn't feel that it needed to be. He was not on leadership, this, this friend of mine. He was not on leadership. He was a member of the church. But he didn't feel that how that situation was being dealt with was, was right. And he wanted to go public and and just rant and rave. You know how easy it is on social media now to just rant. And I, my conviction as a young leader, I was a leader in that church, a young leader, was you are going to destroy so many lives with your public rant. I cannot support you, and I will not support you. And I, I disfriended him, unfriended him. What do you do on social media if you stop friending them? Okay, that, that thing. Okay, the, the worst thing you can do to somebody on social media, I unfriended them. And it wasn't just that I actually haven't had contact with them since then. They wanted to destroy in a righteous rant. They wanted to destroy something that had taken years to build. And I was like, it is being dealt with, but you are not in leadership, so you don't have the responsibility with before God to actually deal with it. Those people there are dealing with it. They are on leadership. It's their responsibility to deal with it, and God will deal with them. You are not in leadership. Why? What's your problem? Why do you want to go on a righteous rant on social media? And I, literally, I, it's been many, many years, and I haven't, I haven't spoken to him since then. It is so easy to destroy. It is so easy to destroy. And the reason they wanted to check Jason's house over here is because the apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy were staying with Jason. So now they don't like what this message about Jesus the Messiah, so now they're wanting to burn down Jason's house. Are we going to be those who defend Jason's house or burn down Jason's house? The house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowds. They wanted to get the apostle. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, by the way, when they say drag, it's not figuratively. They would have physically dragged them through those uh, streets. And it, yeah. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I love that. These men who've turned the world upside down. Folks, I don't know about you. You know, I was talking to my kids. I'm going on so many rabbit trails. Guys, sorry. We will get through this. I may not finish it. <laughs> we will finish. How many of you know Che Guevara, the revolutionary? You know, many people wear the t-shirt Che Guevara. How many of you? He's the picture of this revolutionary. He wears a beret. He's got a scraggly black beard. And he's become the symbol of revolution. 
across the world. People often wearing t-shirts of Che Guevara. He was basically Fidel Castro's right-hand man in the, in the revolution in Cuba. He was a bloodthirsty man. I, the words I want to use for him, I cannot be used publicly. He had, he oversaw the execution of anybody who resisted the revolution. He literally, his, he had an office with a big window overlooking the place where they executed anybody. This isn't you did something wrong, you stole, you looted, you burned shops down. You didn't like the new Fidel Castro government, you were brought in front of a firing squad and you were shot against the wall. So the wall's over there, and this on the second floor, he had his office, and he would sit there drinking coffee, drinking whatever, who knows what he drank actually, smoking, looking at people being murdered. And people today around the world wear him on their t-shirt and say, I'm a revolutionary, look at me. I want Folks, can I submit to you, the Bible says, these men who have turned the world upside down, we should be the Che Guevara's of the world. We're turning the world upside down. Upside down, actually the right way around. And I'm going to come to what that looks like. This is, we should be the revolutions. We actually want to change the world. We want the whole world to serve Jesus and surrender their lives to Him and live according to God's standards and God's ways and let faith, hope, and love permeate the whole world and that people can have faith, hope, and love instead of fear and anxiety and stress and, and etc. I'm getting rabbit trails. Forgive me. And, um, oh, here we come. They've turned the world upside down. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, comma, Jesus. Folks, do you know that this is actually a political statement right here? These guys, because in, this was a Roman colony, in those areas, it was decreed, I mean, there was only one king, and it was Caesar. And if you came, I mean, it would be like, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. They used to greet each other with Ab Caesar. Okay? However, how do they do it? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, how do you Romans greet one another? Ab Caesar. It sounds, looks good, eh? There we go. Something like that. Okay, Ab Caesar. They used to greet each other with that greeting. But it literally meant Caesar is Lord. That's how they greeted one another. So now you come along as Christians, and everybody's saying, they don't say good morning, they would say, Ab Caesar, and you would say, Ab Jesus. And they're like, there's another political party in town, you know? The, the, um, the, 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 the Jesus party, you know? You want to take over? You want to, that's, that's, that's how it was received. It was seen as a, as a, a political affront to the establishment, which was Caesar's rule. I mean, under uh, under the the Nazis in the Second World War, they used to greet one another, Heil Hitler. Okay, how did the... Heil Hitler, you know? Uh, oh, they did it like that. Oh, yes, they did it like that, hey? They also... He was, he was actually thought he was like a remodeled kind of Caesar kind of a thing. They used to greet each other, Heil Hitler. And so this reality of what Paul was doing here was saying there's another king. His king is Jesus. It's King Jesus. And literally Christians were killed because they refused to greet one another saying, Ab Caesar or Caesar is Lord. 
and, and they were saying, Jesus is Lord. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security or bail from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So I've got another map just to show you. So they went on to the next town. So there's Thessalonica. And then Cynthia's going to show you where Berea is. There we go. Thanks, Cynthia. How did you know Berea was there, Cynthia? Well done. Okay. <laughs> in the next town. And they're also... So this mob, like actually happened in KZN, this mob that had caused the riot, they went to Berea and they started another riot there and they couldn't actually stay on there. And so they left and they went down to... Just click, Cynthia. They went to Athens. Athens, the capital city of Greece, which was now under Roman law uh, rule at the time. And Paul preached the most amazing sermon. If you study theology and you go to seminary, you will learn about this amazing sermon, brilliant points. But it actually had very mixed results. And when Paul was in Athens, his concern was for the church in Thessaloniki. He was only there for three weeks. He's like, what happened to these guys? How is their faith, hope, and love doing? So he didn't, while he was in Athens, he actually sent Timothy, who was traveling with him. He said, Tim, listen, I'm, I, I'm really concerned about these believers in Thessalonica. Won't you go back? So Timothy left them, went back to Thessalonica, and Paul went by himself on to Corinth. So there we go. So he goes on to Corinth, and he, he spends a couple, a long time there, a good few months in Corinth. So I want to just highlight from there, he actually went on to Ephesus. And here, there we go. There's Ephesus. So the book of Corinthians was written to the people in Corinth. And the book of Ephesians written to the people in Ephesus. And then he caught a ship back to Israel. Back home. But I want to highlight something about his journey. You know, the Lord speaks to me from maps. And it's not just because I did geography at school. Folks, you know, the journey started well. His second missionary journey. He met Timothy. He encouraged the believers in, in um, Galatia on his first trip. But all the way around there, Philippi ended up in jail. Uh, Thessalonica, only three weeks, this rabble chases him out. Comes to Berea, just starting to share and talk and teach and start the Alpha course with him. And then the rabble comes, kicks him out. He goes to Athens. Uh, he preaches amazing sermon, mixed results, some, but quite a lot of opposition. By the time he gets to Corinth, He's really discouraged. He's been going, they, they, they reckon, maybe, maybe a year, maybe less, with not much results. Not much as, he's been to, uh, three different places. Not much results, let me say this, that he can see. He was, he doesn't know what happened to the believers in, in, in Thessalonica. And so, when he was in Athens, he sent Timothy, and then an amazing thing happens. When he is in Corinth, Timothy comes back to him. And Timothy gives this amazing report about how well the believers in Thessalonica are doing. How much they love Paul. How much they appreciate him. How, and the report literally is, he gets a report of their faith, hope, and love. And he's just thanking God. And it's literally a turning point in his ministry on this missionary journey. Because he spends quite a lot of time in Corinth, has an amazing, fruitful time there. And goes on to Ephesus and has an, spends a good long time in Ephesus as well. The turning point in his missionary journey was literally when he got, when Timothy came back to him in Corinth and told him the Thessalonians are doing well. They are full of uh, faith, hope, and love. 
and he turns around and then he has a really fruitful time. And so this is in Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, and I'm reading, I'm just actually, I wanted to put more, but it's just too much. Chapter 2 and 3, they're short chapters, read in your own time. I want, I want you to see, I'm putting the practical aspects of, 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 of this. I'm amazed at, I want to use the word joining, the heart connection between this apostle and these people in Thessalonica. He, he, there is such a deep connection if you read, if you read all of it. And I want to say, how come he had such a great impact? Folks, he taught, yes, he did the Alpha course for three Sundays, but he lived with them for three weeks. There was relational connection. He ate with them. He stayed in Jason's house. They came to visit him at Jason's house. They had breakfast, lunch, and supper together. He was, he would have been engaging with them. There was amazing joining that happened. So in chapter 2, verse 2, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, that's where he was before he came there, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Again, and that's tough times. And even I want to say about this map, you know, he went through a really rough patch of not much work, resistance, mobs, jail, etc. But in the end, Corinth and Ephesus, he had some amazing fruitful work. I don't know what you're going through, but I want to submit to you, this is the amazing Apostle Paul, anointed by God, signs, wonders, and miracles following him. He went through a really tough time. And how, what was the turning point? Is actually when he got news of these people's faith, hope, and love. And I want to submit you, it's not just the news about their faith, hope, and love. When Timothy came, he would have shared stories like my stories of how I got faith, hope, and love from people in this church. I want to submit to you that faith, hope, and love encouraged Paul and caused him to have an amazing ministry time. There. Verse Chapter 3, it says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens, remember, uh, alone, and we sent Timothy. Remember, that's when he sent. But in verse chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us the good news of your faith and your love. Folks, don't underestimate the impact of your faith, hope, and love on people around you. Don't underestimate, but I also want to say, I want to say don't minimize it, but recognize the value that you bring to your fellow brothers and sisters sisters in this community. God ordained it that absolutely we get faith, hope, and love from God himself vertically, but we also get it horizontally. That is why it is better together. And I actually want to, want to go on. I want to, I want to share a little story, and it's about John Wesley and George Whitfield in the next slide. Now, how many of you have heard of John Wesley? Okay, quite a few hands. In Hayfields, we have a church, it's called the Wesley Methodist Church. I mean, John Wesley started the Methodist, what is now known as the Methodist churches. There are literally thousands of them all around the world. So you've heard of John Wesley, awesome. How many of you have heard of George Whitfield? Okay, a few, but it's actually less hands. During their lifetime, George Whitfield was by miles better known. They lived at the same time. They went to Oxford University together, etc. 
But there was a big difference in their lives and how they lived their lives. Both, to, both of them traveled around preaching the gospel. George Whitfield was by far greatly more anointed than John Wesley. George Whitfield, he preached in America. He, he was from England, went to America, preached in the 13 colonies. By the end of his ministry there, it was in the 1700s, mid-1700s, I forget the dates, I did look at them, 1700s, long time ago. 80, they reckon the, the first Great Awakening in America happened because of his ministry. They reckon 80% of all Americans have, would have heard George Whitfield preaching. One crowd in Boston Numbered over 23,000 people came to hear him preach on an open field, folks. I don't know what that looks like on an open field. He had such an anointing. Literally, I read about him. He was surprised by the anointing of God on his preaching. He was, there was something people just came. In Boston at the time, the crowd was 23,000. It was more people than in the whole city of Boston at that time. People from surrounding areas came. He was phenomenally well known. He had one message, and that is that you must surrender your life to Jesus. You must be born again. Uh, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Bow your knee to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That was his message. Phenomenal impact on, on the U.S. And, and the U.K. John Wesley was also a traveling evangelist. He also went around preaching the gospel, but not to such big crowds. He didn't have such an anointing. He wasn't such a great revivalist as John as George Whitfield. What was the difference? I want to highlight the difference by something that George Whitfield said at the end of his life. At the end of his life, he used this metaphor. He said, he said, my ministry is like sand falling through my fingers. I have nothing to show for it. Whereas my friend, John Wesley, we were at university together, has a worldwide network of groups of people that are called the Methodists, that are serving God, that are full of faith, hope, and love. George Whitfield literally says, I have ministered my heart out my whole life, but I've got absolutely nothing to show for it. With John Wesley has a worldwide ministry. Do you know today, most people have heard about John Wesley, but very few actually know George Whitfield. But in the 1700s, any American would have known about George Whitfield, and not many of them would have known about John Wesley. See, the difference is, John Wesley got people together in small groups where they were committed to walking with each with one another. He appointed leaders over these groups, okay? These groups became churches. These groups cared for one another. These groups did faith, hope, and love together. They joined together. Remember that verse about they believed or they were convinced, but they were also joined together with Paul and Silas. John Wesley joined people together. George Whitfield just led people into a personal conviction about who Jesus is and then just left them. And at the end of his life, he said, it's like sand just flowing through my hands. I've got absolutely nothing to show for it.
And this is the significance of church. And so I want to close with a scripture from Ecclesiastes. And I'll tell you why I'm reading this scripture. In Ecclesiastes, this is the wisest man who lived, said this, Solomon. He said, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. I should have underlined that because to understand everything that he's saying, this is the thing. This is a guy all alone. Maybe he has an amazing relationship with God, but he's all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he's single and rich. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. Verse 9. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. Verse 10. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Amen in the middle of winter. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three stands is, strands is not quickly broken. And I want to conclude with four very simple points. And I simply want to say that we are better together. We are better together. What was the difference and what is the impact? It wasn't just that people in Thessalonica had this conviction that Jesus is Lord. They had a conviction, but they came together. They experienced a community of faith, hope, and love. And that is why after just three weeks of doing the Alpha Course, inverted commas, there was a strong church that Paul the Apostle was raving about. They came together. John Wesley Ball built communities. He didn't just lead people into, con- into a conviction and a life-changing prayer. He built community. And this is actually from, well, Steve Mould's got a book called A Hundred Years From Now. Have you just passed that book under there? There's a book there. Steve Mould, he heads up Every Nation International. He wrote this book, Hundred Years From Now. And in this book, he, he asked this question. He said, we are busy building churches and campus ministries in every nation. That's what we do as Every Nation Ministries. But he said, what will be the impact 100 years from now? And in this book, he, he goes through principles that, that he highlights this would have longevity. This would stand the test of time. And he has a chapter in here literally called Better Together. And, he, and he, from this verse from Ecclesiastes, he pulls out four points. And I just want to put these four points up. Sorry, four points like that. Okay, four points. So these are his four points. And uh, the alliteration is going over here. I love it. Okay, firstly, Increased productivity, verse 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Being fruitful, folks, do you know being fruitful is godly? Jesus, remember how he looked at that fig tree that didn't have fruit? The Lord is looking for fruit from your life and my life. Amen? And fruitfulness, the Bible says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Working together is just so much better than working alone. Increased protection. Verse 10. One falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Folks, I would not be here today if I didn't have people who helped me up on my journey. I have, I have not got the, the strength and virtue to say that I'm standing here by myself. I have had many times had people come alongside me. Thirdly, increased passion. Verse 11 says, 
Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Folks, my faith, when the embers of my faith are, are dim, like when we chatted to Ndokozo that Saturday morning a couple of weeks ago, I just felt, I felt like she was burning on my faith, and I was like, that's the word of the Lord. I have faith that we're going to do an in-person service this Sunday. Increased power, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And finally, he says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know what's so interesting in this, in this scripture? All the way, he's talking about two. One is not good, two, 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 two. And then right then, he says three. What is he talking about? Folks, it's the strand of the Lord. Because when two believers come together, the Lord says, where two or more agree on anything, I am there. So the third strand is actually the Lord. How are we going to do three strands? Okay, there we go, three strands. Oh, there we go, three strands. It's the Lord. When we come together in the Lord, the Lord is there. Amen. Lord, I want to thank you that we are better together, Lord. The enemy constantly wants to divide and destroy and destroy relationships. God, we're inspired by just this what happened in Thessalonica, Lord. And Lord, the amazing encouragement it was even to the great apostle Paul when he heard the news that they were doing well. God, I pray, I pray for this divine aspect of joining, Lord. Lord, your word says that you set the lonely in family. Lord, I pray that you would join to this local church the people that you in your wisdom and your love, have destined to be part of this church, Lord. God, I pray for everybody who hears this message. Lord, we think of the people online, YouTube, SoundCloud, um, Zoom. Lord, I pray for every single person, Lord, that they would know the reality of being joined to a local church, a local spiritual family. Lord, where they can be nurtured in faith, hope, and love. God, I pray that we would be a community that is characterized by faith, hope, and love, Lord. Give us wisdom to know how to show that to others as well. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.